Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to another edition of Beyond the Cover. We want to thank you however, wherever, and whenever you listen to the show. I'm one of your hosts, John Robert. Of course, I'm always here with my good friend, Jeff Ayers. Jeff, how you doing? Doing great. How's it going? It is going good. Dodgers up 4 to nothing in the top of the seventh, baby. We're all excited in LA. God damn it, I can't believe it. All right, go on to the World Series. I can't here believe it either. The Dodgers actually win games. Oh, man, you are so close to getting muted right now. It's not even funny. <laughs> hey, fabulous guest on here. I remember meeting um, Revis Wortham. Oh, gosh, it must be about three or four years ago at Thriller Fest. And when you see him, you know that he has to write about where he's writing about, which is a small northeastern Texas community. Um, his books are subtitled Rev River Mystery. His latest is called Unraveled, and it's book six in his series. So let's bring Revis onto the show and say, how you doing, my man? Thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, I'm excited to be here, John. Jeff, good to talk to you guys. Thanks for doing this. So let's <laughs> jump into you your later. latest book. Well, yeah, you could. You never know. So let's jump into your latest book here, Unravel. Like you said, it's book six now in your Red River Mystery Series. So you now you've got some books behind you. I mean, you've got a half dozen now coming out. So, you know, things are going to be, you know, changed up. You're doing – you've had a lot of uh, uh, success with one through five. So tell us what you got going on here in book six. Uh, book six <clears throat> picks up with the, fam- the, the Parker family who, who we follow all the way through the Red River Mysteries. That's, it's a family uh, of lawmen, farmers, kids who see life as – uh, as it unfolds in a small community in northeast Texas back in the 1960s. And this one is set in 1968 and involves a, a mysterious single car accident uh, with uh, the mayor of Chisholm and his black female assistant who is in the car with him when it goes over a bridge or in, over a dam and questions and accusations arise about the race, their relationship as um, things begin to unfold and people begin to find out things about what's going on in a small community. You know, my granddad, who the series is based on, was a farmer and a constable in northeast Texas when I was a kid back in the 1960s. And he said small towns and small communities are like uh, like ponds. We call, them, we call them pools here in the east Texas where cattle drink. In some places, some places they're called ponds, some places they're called tanks. But granddad always said the surface is nice and smooth and calm, but underneath the water is where all the action is because that's where all the life is, and you never know what's going on under there. And that's that's a that's a small town for you. That is um, because of what you just said. Is that why you've set uh, your series in the 1960s? Yeah, it is. I I grew up watching him uh, as a kid. Um, he he'd sit on a tractor and farm all day long, uh, plow, raise cotton, raise cows. And in the evenings, he would go home and uh, clean up, take a bath because he didn't have a shower. It was a small you know, frame house out in the country. Uh, put his badge on and strap a 38 to his hip, and then he was the local law in this community. And if anybody needed help, they, they came to him. Um, he'd break up family fights or take drunks to jail or, or deal with theft. 
and uh, he he was he was he was the the touchstone back in back in those days. And so, when I was casting around for a location and and the people and places to set the my first novel, then I landed on him pretty quickly. Now, now when you're setting a book, you know back back in the '60s, and I kind of always ask this question for people that kind of do that because you know that's before the technology, and and it kind of goes a little bit against the grain of you know, all the stuff you see out on TV today, all the stuff you see in books today with all the new technology and all the CSI and everybody getting DNA results and a matter of 30 <laughs> seconds. It's like you take the blood and, and they look at it and they go, oh, yeah, it's this freaking guy. So, you know, how, how is it as a writer? Because you have all this technology around you, swirling around you all every day, all day long, but now you're writing into the 60s. How difficult it's is It's much that? easier. Oh, it's not. It's so much easier than you would think because you don't have to worry about all that technology. You don't have to worry about people reaching out and finding things out at, at, with their fingertips like they do today. The only technology he had in, in his house, I swear, was a, was a TV. That, you guys are watching baseball. I didn't know baseball games were clear until I was grown because the, we were so far out in the country. He had a 60-foot tower antenna, and there was the, the image was snowy all the time. So I, I never really realized what a clear television looked like. Uh, we had a, there was a phone in the house, and there was a party line, so there wasn't a direct line. People would listen in on your calls when you call because there were like three different families on one line. And uh, the, the the major technology he had was a Motorola radio mounted in his car, and he was so <laughs> proud of that because they mounted that thing back about 1960 under the dash, and it was it was it was attached to the floorboard, and it, it winked in and out most of the time. He never had a good signal, but he always said that uh, bad guys might be able to outrun his car, but nobody could outrun his radio. And that was it. I mean, that, was, that was the extent of the technology he had. I'm writing a new series that's going to start in July, and it's a thriller series in contemporary uh, thriller series here in Texas. And the technology is killing me because of, of of the communication that's so easy now. You want to take some of the, you know, you, it, it loses some of the thrill that you, you're looking for and that you find in, in the 1960s. Uh, series because it, you know it's all it's all very mysterious. You can't get help when you need it. You can't just pick up a phone and call for assistance. You know you have to find a phone. Then you have to have a nickel or a dime in your pocket if it's a payphone, which you know, that's something we don't see hardly anymore. Well, it sounds to me like the party lines were the early version of uh, the NSA. <laughs> they were. Yeah, there's always a little old lady that picked up as soon as the phone rang. No matter whose line it was, she'd pick it up and listen in, and you always knew she was there because you could hear her breathing on the other end of the line, you know, and, and, and cracking her old knuckles and stuff like that. So, yeah, there was always people listening in. And in small towns, if you're, if anyone's from a small town, you know that the, the grapevine works better than any communication that we have today. All you got to do is tell one person, and it goes and goes and goes. <laughs> Uh, I want to ask you about series because that's one thing we talk about here on this show a lot is why a series? So that's my question to you. <laughs> well, I asked them. I asked them the same question because I, I didn't. I didn't even write it. My first book wasn't intended to be a series. I wrote a story based on uh, based on my granddad. I, it was it was a pure accident. I was on deadline for a for a newspaper column one night, and I couldn't. For, you know, I don't have writer's block. I don't think writer's block exists. But sometimes it takes a little while to get things flowing. And I was looking at the on a 286 computer. Remember the 286? They were they were, they were antiques at the time, and it had this little cursor that would just blink at you when you weren't doing anything. 
And I couldn't think of words to write, so I looked looked around, and I remember what my old high school English teacher told me. She, uh, she said, if you can't think of anything to write, just put words on the paper, and uh, more words will come. And there's a picture of my grandparents. Oh, you mean you can't, uh, like, write the my... word very? You can't write the word very no. 500 times? No. Put it in a five... Oh, damn it. That's why I always got apps. That's why you, you, you cannot write the word very or amazing. If you eliminate those two from your from oh, your vocabulary, shit. you'll go along. I know. I know. You know. Mark Twain said, you know, "Go ahead and put very in everywhere you want to," and then uh, instead of that, though, you go you take it out and put "damn it" or "damn," and then uh, right. the editor's going to rip that out for you anyway because it's not needed. So you can you can you can eliminate those two words. So I looked I looked around and I found I saw my grandparents' picture and I wrote "we're from up on the river," which is what my grandmother always said, and that led to even more words. And before you knew it, I started this I started a novel and I didn't really realize that's what I was doing. I wrote about twenty pages. And it got a hold of me, and I continued to write this novel over the several years. And when I finished it, it was 100 and, like 140,000 words, which is ridiculously long for, for a novel. But I didn't know what I was doing. And so uh, I found, after, after several months, I found an agent. And then a few more months, the agent found a publisher. And they came to me, and they, I met them at the Sleuth Fest in Florida. And they said, well, here's, here's what we're going we're to publish your book, but you need to rewrite the ending. And I said, why? They said, well, everybody died. I said, well, that's what I wanted. And they said, no, 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 we, that's not what we want. We want you to rewrite the ending so we can make a series out of this, and we're going to call it the Red River series, and you're going to continue on with these characters. Oh, and by the way, you need to knock out 50,000 words and make it a 90,000-word novel. And that's that's how I wound up with a series, and that's how I figured out how to write uh, books out of out of that one experience putting together what eventually became known as the Rockhold. Oh, okay, yeah, that was um... – that was the first. That was the first book in the series. For people who don't know, the Rock Hole was was the first book in your series, and that's when you know they're introduced it, uh, introduced to you know Ned Parker and John Washington, some of your characters. So, how would you say that the characters have kind of progressed themselves from book one to book six? I mean, when people book the when people pick up book six, what are they going to notice that's kind of new with the characters, or are they going to notice something different in your writing? I think my writing's gotten better as, as the books have evolved. They, the, the characters have have uh, be, become uh, deeper characters than they were in the first. Because you can't you can't really describe everyone uh, in ninety thousand words, especially the way mine's set up. Because you have Ned Parker and Miss Becky who are, who are in their sixties, and they've seen a lot of life. They saw the Depression and the wars uh, up until nineteen sixty four, to where the rock hole begins. And then you have Cody and and. Cody is their adopted son, uh, and and he is in his somewhere in his twenties, early mid twenties, and he, he sees the world in a different light because he's been he's been to Vietnam. He's back. He was one of the first people that went to Vietnam, and a lot of people don't know that we were there in the, in nineteen in the early nineteen sixties, and we definitely had a presence in sixty four. And then you see the world through the eyes of two children. Cody and uh, I mean uh, Top and Pepper, who are ten-year-old cousins, and they're almost twins. Uh, so you see the world f- from their view. And in addition, we have John Washington, who is the first black deputy sheriff in Lamar County, and you s- we see the world through John's eyes. So there are a lot of people in this in this series that that uh, have have some page time and you get to know them at the first and you and, and you, you understand the world they live in and the horror that they're finding in their small community as as the rock hole progresses with a guy named the skinner who was killing people and, and actually skinning them 
And then by the time you go to the next book, which is Burroughs, to the next one, which is um, The Right Side of Wrong, you advance about a year at a time. So you're seeing the characters grow, you're seeing the children grow, but you're also seeing the 1960s progress. You know, in, in the early 60s, it was, it was you know, it was uh, quartet rock and roll, doo-wop, and then the, the rock and roll began to change as the times changed, and civil rights uh, became more prominent in the country. You saw the, the, the music evolve with, with that. Uh, the Vietnam War escalated, so it became even darker and darker. So the 60s were were uh, were a time of, of dramatic change, and, and all of that is, is played out on the pages of the books as, as they progress through uh, Unraveled, which you know, which is out. We just came out about two or three weeks ago, uh, and uh, you see uh, still it's a dark time. You know, the, the, the assassinations of Martin Luther King and, and, uh, and Robert Kennedy have occurred, but the people – in the small the small northeast community uh, in northeast Texas are simply trying to survive, and they're trying to survive as the outside world presses in on them. So you get a sense each, each novel is a standalone, but at the same time you get a sense of family and continuity all the way through. And by the way, the Rock Hole right now, if anyone's interested in it, it's free on as an iBook for for, uh, for uh, from Amazon or from uh, any of the from Apple or, or or whatever. So if you want to go to Amazon or BookBub, you can find it. For uh, zero money, and you can start right in with the Rockhold. That's a cool deal. All right. Everybody do this because they're good. Come on. Thank you. Um, I just got my book for free. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Technology, wonderful. And Ned Parker never. Oh, yeah, I just got my book for free. You kidding me? I'm on here right now. I'm like, hey, I'll get it because. The thing is, you know, we got it to review, but I, I, I didn't have a chance to read it back then, and so uh-huh. it's free now, so now I got it forever. That's the beauty of there the freaking go. Kindle, you too. Go. You know, I'm telling you, just- I'm just going to say, <laughs> I love Kindle books. I love them. I love so electronic books because, see, this is the way it is. Now I got it for free. Yeah. I don't have to worry about losing it or pouring water on it or doing whatever. It's always there, <laughs> and it's always with me. You share that thing everywhere I'm taking, you go. I'm huh? taking Revis to Japan with me. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only way I'll get over there, so thank you for that. <laughs> oh, well, there you go. Okay. Um, what, one of the things that um, I want to talk to you about in addition is genre, because your books, in my opinion, aren't really mysteries, even though the cover says they are. Yeah. Can you talk yeah. a bit about what genre is it really? I, you know, I didn't even know when I was putting it together. Honestly, when I was writing the book, I didn't know what I was writing. When I was writing the Rock, I had no earthly idea of where I was going. I was just putting a book together because I'd been wanting to write one. And about halfway through, I started realizing that it it was it was it was a mystery, but not like most mysteries that you find that you find on the shelves. And then I, I realized that when the, the killer was revealed. I didn't even know who the killer was. I was actually shocked, and I, you know, I, I kind of made a noise. And my wife came in, "What's going on?" And I said, "Well, I know who the killer is." And she said, "Well, you're, it is your book." I said, "Well, no, I just didn't know what I was putting together." But I was, I was building a, a, a mystery. But at the same time, I was, I was building a historical mystery because there was so much history. And like as I've said, there's a lot of rock and roll in there. Uh, you, you know, the movies that of the time were in there. So I was bringing back the things that that drove us in the 1960s. And at the same time, I'm trying to preserve uh, a way of life and a way of the, the people talk in Northeast Texas. There's a lot of Texas lingo in here that I have to explain to people, and I have to explain to uh, my editor sometimes. 
but in, in those words and those phrases are, are dying out, and I wanted to preserve them in the books. So you've got a historical mystery, but at the same time, toward the end of my books, for some reason, and I'm a huge thriller fan, they become they become pure thrillers. So I call them historical mystery thrillers, and by the time you get to the end, it's high octane. Uh, some reviewers say I'm over the top when you get to the big uh, the big reveal, the big shootout, and, and you find out who the bad guys are. But at the same time, it, it's a fun ride, and you're not going to be disappointed when you get to the end. I can promise you that. And the same is for Unravel that just came out. There's, you know, there's, there's a huge car chase at the end of it, and, and a lot, a lot of guns, a lot of fights, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of uh, action. And that's, I think, that's what people want. So, historical mystery action thrillers. Is that a genre? Or did I just create something new? <laughs> Sounds good to me. I like that. Yeah. So, shit, I had a question in my head, and I just totally just lost it. <laughs> God, that's what happens, man, when you sit here. And you, know. you know, that's what happens when you're stoned on the radio. No, I'm not. I'm joking. Um, no, well, I'm but, drinking gin, so that's okay. Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. Okay, here it is. Now, is there a subject matter that you just won't go? Like, is there a place that you just won't take your books? Wow. I, you know, that, that just came up on my last book. Uh, I put kids in peril. I do that all the time. I... Unfortunately, dogs have a hard life in my books because dogs have a hard life in the country. So so in my earlier books, we lost dogs quite a bit, but we saved a lot of dogs too. But in the book, the previous book before Unraveled, it, it's, it's called Dark Places. Uh, Pepper, and it, this is not a spoiler, Pepper the, the, at, in that, at that time is 14 years old. She has had enough of small-town life. She's had enough of, of farms. She wants to join the counterculture movement, and so she runs away in dark places and tries to go to San Francisco to join the hippie movement. Along the way, she encounters life as she did not know it. You know, a girl from a small town is innocent no matter how tough she thinks she is, but she winds up in a, uh, a flop house with a bunch of other hippie uh, kids and there's you know, a lot of stoners, a lot of people hanging out, uh, a lot of people yeah. passing through, some criminals. And at one point, she gets in trouble with a boy. After the book is over with, after you read the book, I've had people email me and call me, and they say, what happened to Pepper in that room? Some people say she was raped. Some people say she wasn't. I couldn't go there with a 14-year-old and actually say she was there, – there was, there was, I couldn't write a rape scene. I couldn't do that. But at the same right. time, I try to leave it up to the to the reader to interpret what I have written on their own. So there's there's a pretty lively discussion in some of my presentations about exactly what happened in the house with Pepper. So those those are the places I won't go. Now I have I have been accused of of, of racism from time to time with uh, my black characters because I talk about the way it was in the 1960s in rural Northeast Texas. The N word was prominent. And I use it in dialogue, but at the same time, I don't use it in in any other way. And so, so there's been a reviewer or two that says, you know, they're concerned with with that kind of thing. But I point out to everyone, you know, I'm not I'm not trying to sugarcoat history. I'm just adding the history in there. And if that's the way it was, then that's the way it was. Maybe a little callous, yeah, but I, that's true. Yeah, I mean, you can't you can't write about a book in the '60s and not use certain words. That describes exactly. the 60s and what was going on, or else it's just not authentic. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I won't use the F word in those, and, and I and, I, and I, I won't even use them in my thrillers. So they're, they're, that's another place I won't go. It's you mean you won't say something funny? <laughs> oh, the other uh, F word. Oh, I'm sorry. I was other, thinking of another short, F word. <laughs> the, the short F word, or the mother of all F words. You know, those those. those oh, are I got gotcha. you. Even yeah, even I though gotcha. they, they, you know, they're verbs, nouns, adjectives, anything you want, uh, they don't they, they don't go in there. So I won't I won't do that. My grandma. The only word in the English language that fits in any sentence you want to say. Uh, you love to say it. It works so well. But then there are times it in does. the books you can't because they go to high schools, and I don't want them in the high. You know. High school kids have never heard that, of course. You don't want them to hear those words. No, no. We have no idea what that word is. No, I read it, and I was 13 years old, and I read it in The Dirty Dozen, if you've ever read that book. That was the first time I ever saw that in print, and, and I was just stunned to see that thing. It leapt off the page. You know, it was like neon. You couldn't get away from it. Yeah, well, that's also because of the time when it was written, too. That was also shocking. Exactly, yeah, exactly. See, in the 60s, that's true. Um, let me ask you about uh, Sonny Hawk and how that all came about. And I also have to ask, because there's another series featuring a hero named Hawk, Did why? I guess why the name and talk a bit about the series. Well, honestly, I didn't know there was another series featuring anyone named Hawk, so that's, that's a surprise to me. Uh, I remember Hudson I Hawk, but that was Bruce Willis. No, Ted <laughs> Bell does uh, Alex Hawk. That was a movie. Yeah, I I've been wanting to break into thrillers. I I have a very good friend, a mentor named John Gilstrap, who grabbed oh, me at sleep. Can't have much better one than that. that. <laughs> yeah, is yeah. is he great? We spent about an hour on the phone today talking about his newest uh, upcoming Jonathan Gray book, which is going to be absolutely. So when it comes out, you well, I love that series. No, it's, it's it's a great yeah. series, and this is probably that. This book, and, and I, he didn't give me a title. He just sent me the manuscript. This is probably his best Jonathan Grave, and I love them all, and I and, and I love John. So the, you're, you're going to love this. Book. But John John keeps telling kept telling me you need to get out of out of this and get into thrillers. And so uh, he, I, I, my agent called me one day, and she'd been she, actually John and I shared the same agent, and she said, okay, I need for you to pitch me your idea for your thriller. And so John and Craig Johnson and I. And um, oh Lord, two or three other writers were in a uh, in in a uh, Sandra Brannon. I don't know if you know. She, I know you know Sandra. Johnson. Love Sandra. We, we, oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. We're all sitting in a hotel in Colorado Springs one snowy spring night at two o'clock in the morning. They shut the bar down. They shut the hotel down. It was like Stephen King's uh, uh, hotel in The Shining. Shining. It's snowing outside. The wind is howling. And we're coming up with some brilliant ideas for, for a novel, for my thriller. And so we came up with this idea, and everybody said it was the best one, that, you know, the best idea in the world. So they said, when you get ready to pitch it, you, this is what you do. About two weeks later, my agent called me. She says, pitch your, pitch your thriller idea so that we can get you into this, into this genre. And so I pitched what I thought was brilliant, and there were, you know, there were crickets singing on the other end of the, of the receiver. And she goes, no, that one's not going to work. You need to pitch another idea. And so I had another one in the back of my head, and so I made that up because I don't, I don't outline, I don't do anything. I just write. They, they call us pantsers, and I hate that that uh, description. I just write off the top of my head. And so I threw out another idea and made this synopsis up as as, as I gave it to her. And she said, "No, Reb, that's not going to work either. You have another one." Well, shit, you know, I'm I'm two already. Okay. So I came up with a third idea, and she goes, "No, nope, that was not going to be it." 
And she goes, I've got time for one more pitch. Do you have one? And I said, sure. So I looked down on, on, on my uh, ottoman in, in the living room, and there's a book called One Ranger by Joaquin Jackson. And I said, how about this? How about a Texas Ranger? And she goes, oh, I like the idea of a Ranger. Go ahead. I said, um, he is living in, and I looked around, and there's a map on my desk. We're getting ready to take a trip to Big Ben. I said, he is living in Marfa, Texas. And she goes, oh, good idea. Keep going. I love Marfa. And and at that point, then, you know, my imagination takes over, and I'm looking out the back at, at, at the swimming pool just bubbling away. And I said, okay, Texas Ranger in Marfa, Texas, he's in the courthouse on a – snowy day the snowiest day they've had in a hundred years it is the blizzard of the century and terrorists come into the courthouse to take it over and she and my agent is going yes this is your idea i said okay uh she says now go on and i got god go on i don't I'm, i'm making this up out of the seat of my pants i said okay um come in to take over and there's a classroom full of kids there on a field trip and one of the kids is the ranger's child and he is upstairs with another one when the terrorists take the building over and they seal off the entire courthouse to hold it for ransom, much like they did in Beslan in Russia about you know, 10, 15 years ago. And so with a Texas Ranger hiding upstairs and the storm of the century preventing any first responders from coming in to help, the small town is cut off. And so the townspeople and the, the very small local sheriff's department surround the building doing the best they can to contain the situation. And Sonny starts to work from the inside, uh, from the top floor down, trying to do as, throw as many monkey wrenches into the terrorists' uh, plans as possible. And from that point on, it was, just, it was just, it was out of control. I had no idea what I was telling her. So I gave her this huge, long synopsis. And she said, okay, that's it. I want you to write it. And so she goes, well, what's this guy's name? And once again, I look over at my my bookcase, and my there's a picture of my dad. His nickname was Sonny. And I said, uh, Sonny, and I looked outside, and there's this bird flying by. I said, Sonny Hawk. She goes, that's the perfect name. I bet you've been holding that back on me, haven't you? (laughs) Yeah, I have. And you're like, yep, 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 but hold on back. (laughs) I'm waiting for you to ask me. So the Sunny Hawk series was born with that, and and uh, she she submitted it. Kensington bought it and offered me a contract on this new series, and so it will start on July one with the first book, Hawks Prey, and I'm really excited about uh, that genre, which now means I'm I'm cranking out two books uh, a year, one one with the yeah. River series and one with the Sunny Hawk, but they're fun. They're fun. Yeah, that's a lot, man. So. Well, hey, Revis, and, and the problem, uh, or rather, my phone. I, I, don't, I don't know why I say yeah. Revis instead of Revis most of the time. It's it, just it like should, I'm a moron. It, hey, but we're going to sure the end, and I want to get advanced copies of that. Yeah, we do. Yeah, we need advanced copies of that. We need them for reviews, definitely. Oh, as, as, yeah. soon, as soon as – I'm, I'm wrapping up. Uh, I'm, I'm getting the manuscript back in the next week or so. Uh, as soon as I get it out and get it into an arc, I'll, I'll have them shoot it over to you. And you know, and back to one of your original questions, this this one is full of technology because you know it's it's contemporary. But the the problem right. is that Sonny's cell phone just drives him crazy every time he tries to to use it. So the technology is working against him and everyone else, which is which is great in this first book, and I think it adds to the suspense. Cool. So do us a favor and let us uh, let everybody know kind of where they can find you and you know what's your um, uh, you know website and everything else and Facebook that they can find you at. 
Oh, great. Uh, thank you for the thank you for that offer. Uh you can find me at www.reav as in victory is wortham w o r t h a m revisworthum.com. Uh, and you can find me on Facebook. There's two Facebook pages. One is Revis Z Wortham and that's the author page, but there's not a lot of action on there right now. Come over to Revis Wortham R E A V I S W O R T H A M. And about 2,000 people out there that, that join in on the old-timey word and phrase of the week, and we talk about the 60s and, and books and thrillers and books that have uh, influenced my life and influenced my writing. And I have about 20,000 Twitter followers, so if you're into, into Twitter, it's uh, at Revis Wortham, Revis Z Wortham, and I'm out there on that one. But all you got to do is type in my name into the search engine, and all that will pop up. And I'd love to have you follow and talk and and, in, and have the opportunity to engage with you because that's a whole lot of fun, and we, we have a great time on any of those platforms. Cool. Fabulous. Well, I'll Will tell you, you what, Revis. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. I just have, are you going, you going to Thriller Fest, Fest next year? year? I'm, I'm sorry, again? Are you going to Thriller Fest Are you going Fest to Thriller Fest, Fest next, next year? year? Oh, of course. I will be at Thriller Fest every year until they won't let me come back any longer. No, I, I love Thriller Fest. It's, it's a it's a great time. I go to Bouchicon, Thriller Fest, uh, Magna Can Murder when I can. Uh, this year I can't go to Magna because I'm up for uh, the uh, the Will Rogers Medallion Award here in Texas at the same time. So that's at the end of this month. But uh, Left Coast Crimes in Honolulu, and we're going to go out there, and I'm going to wear my cowboy hat and a Hawaiian shirt and see what kind of trouble we can get into in, uh, on the beaches of Waikiki. Nice. It'll be kind of fun. Awesome. Nice. Well, I'll tell you what, Revis, we want to thank you for coming on, man. It's been an absolute pleasure and a joy to have you on here and wish you nothing but the best. So stay in contact with us. Make sure we get an advanced copy of the books, and uh, maybe we'll have you back on for the new Hawk series. Oh, man, I tell you what, John, Jeff, has been, been a pleasure and an honor to be with you guys, and, and uh, I will get those books out to you. Thank you so much for the time and for the opportunity. To, you know, uh, you, Suspense Magazine, Suspense Radio has been really, really good to me, and I always appreciate that. Well, thank you, man. We appreciate it. All right, have a good one. You guys have a great day. So, again, everybody, that is Revis Wortham, and the latest book is called Unraveled. It is book six now in the Red River Mystery Series. Make sure you go at it now and go get it. It is available however you want to buy books. You can go pick it up on Amazon in whatever format you want it on. And, again, make sure you visit Revis Wortham, R-E-A-V-I-S, W-O-R-T-H-A-M.com for more information on all of his stuff. We also got to talk about some other things, Jeffrey. We got some ad reads to do. So we want to let you know about the latest Lewis Daughtry book. It's called Black Water, a masterful suspense thriller about espionage, love, and redemption. Uh, It is out now. You can also get another one called By Gaslight from Stephen Price. That is an an atmospheric and haunting novel about a detective's Ceaseless Hunt for an Elusive Criminal. If you want to have information, you can always go to fsgbooks.com for more information. Are you familiar with any of those, Jeff? Well, I was going to say Blackwater was a Doobie Brothers song, but... Uh, it was. No, Blackwater. Um, mm-hmm. The other thing, you know, I like cozy books, and Kensington is doing a lot of great cozy stuff right now. And there's some right now for Halloween called Death of a Pumpkin Carver, and that is by Lee Hollis. Then you have Candy Corn Murder. Who the hell doesn't like candy corn and be murdered in it? Wow. That's from Leslie Meyer. Uh, Death Among the Doilies. Yeah, and then Death by Pumpkin Spice. 
So those are from Kensington Books, and you can go to kensingtonbooks.com. Of course, they are one of the sponsors on the show. They're the ones who kind of sponsor all the shows here on Suspense Radio this year. Have you ever heard of Mike Napa? Yes. Jeff? Well, his yes. latest book, The Raven, has now just come out. And Tosca Lee, we know Tosca Lee, New York Times bestselling author, calls it a thrill ride. Um, so make sure you check out The Raven by Mike Napa and also his other book called Annabelle Lee. And you want to go to bakerpublishinggroup.com for more information on all of their books, and you'll find uh, Mike's stuff included on that. Um, we also have – oh, i got to get to it here. I'm scrolling, I'm scrolling, I'm scrolling. Um, <laughs> Lynette Eason called Without Warning and Always Watching. You can get caught up in the, in the action, danger, and the romance. Make sure you visit Lynette Eason. That's L-Y-N-E-T-T-E, Easton.com. And, again, it's without warning and always watching. Um, this is another one by Baker Publishing Group. But this is a strong female character. Think of, like, Covert Affairs. Um, and what was the other one with um, – oh, shoot. Uh, what was the other one? The, the, the wife of the Howard Stern in Private Parts, Mary, whatever, she was in that show. Plain Sight. Plain Sight. Yes. Kind of reminds you a little of that if you like if you like those kinds of uh, those books that's in there too. Um, another great book. Now this one uh, is fascinating. It was 2016 best horror novel, Silver Falcone Award, 2016 serial killer mystery of the year by Killer Nashville's Judges Award. It is called The Ripper Gene by Michael Ransom. Do you know about this one? I've heard about it. it sounds interesting. I haven't had a chance yeah. to read it yet though. Yeah. It says, this Halloween, experience the terror in the pages of the Ripper gene. The urge to kill is inside us all. And believe me, uh, there's probably some people I'd like to kill. But here at Suspense Magazine, we call it scary as the devil. So make sure you check out the Ripper gene by Michael Ransom. Go to michaelransombooks.com for more information on what he's got going on in all his books. Um, also, Mary Burton is back uh, with her latest book from Kensington. It's Killer Characters, Killer Reads, and it's called Before She Dies, and that's from Mary Burton, uh, who we've had on the show before. And also, another book called Shoot 'Em Up by, um, oh, I'm sorry, another, yeah, it's called by Jamie Mosh. So make sure you check out both of those by uh, Kensington Books. And of course, our good friend Kevin O'Brien, You'll Miss Me When I'm Gone, and Lisa Jackson, After She's Gone, those have just hit the, the, the newsstands. We had Kevin on talking about, of course, his book um, not too long ago. And if you haven't read a Kevin O'Brien book, you're just not reading the right kind of genre. So, um, yeah, so that's what we got going is, is, on. Is Adwise. hers really called After She's Gone? Which one? Uh, is hers Who? called After She's Gone? For Lisa Jackson? Yeah. Oh, um, yeah, After She's Gone. Yeah, You'll Miss Me yeah. When I'm Gone and After She's Gone. It, it sounds like they wrote them together. It's kind of cool. Oh, that's true. I, I like didn't it. even think about that. And Yeah, Lisa's is under her, the, the West Coast series, but it's After She's Gone and then, yeah, You'll Miss Me When I'm Gone. So whenever she leaves, you're missing her. That's, there you that's, go. That, that's what they're trying to tell you. So whether that's she leaves book. or however yeah. she goes. Yeah, you're going to miss them. Um, you know, 
we don't have to play music. We don't have to do anything. We can just keep right on going right now. And the one uh, subject that I was going to think about talking about was, and of course Revis writes about it, our kind of area or um, uh, periods, you know, book periods, you know, eras, writing in those types of eras. You know, Stephen King did it not too long ago with his 112363 book, and then it got turned into a Hulu. But what do you think of uh, era books, you know, era pieces? Uh, you know, do, do you kind of find them refreshing? Do you think that they maybe go – because there's some that I think have gone too far in the direction of the era, and it's kind of taken away from the story. You know, uh, What are your thoughts, Jeff? I enjoy it if I feel like I've been transported in a time machine, and I'm there, and I can actually feel like I'm surrounded by the smells and the sights and the people talk like I think they would be talking at that time. And there are some authors that do it very well. But on the other hand, there's some you know who think, just did oh, it. You know who you know who just killed it doing that. That was who? David Morrell. Yes. David Morrell Absolutely. just killed it with that with Inspector of the Dead, uh, Murder as a Fine Art, and what was his latest book that just came out? Uh, the third one in the series. It hasn't come out yet. Yeah. Um, um, no, it's coming Ruler out. Ruler of the oh, Night. Oh, Ruler of the Night. Ruler of the, yeah, it comes out November 15th. You want to talk about writing some period pieces that do make you, that sights and those smells. Yeah, he killed it on that one. Another one who I enjoy, and he just uses it periodically in his novels, is um, our favorite John Land with his uh, yes. Caitlin Strong books, because he always has an element of the past in them. Yeah. Um, I enjoy that, too. Yeah, uh, no, and I like Tasha Alexander. I think that she does a really good job. I'm going to have her on the radio. I'm having John and Tasha both on the radio this Saturday uh, so people can listen and, and hear her and hear their new stuff. But the reason I like kind of Tasha's stuff, she kind of goes, you know, back 1800s Victorian time, and it's a mystery series with a woman and uh, Lady Emily, and she does a fabulous job. Uh, kind of with her period pieces, and I don't know what's more difficult. Is it more difficult when you're writing back like 1800s, a place, time you never lived, or would it be easier for like maybe like you and I setting a book in the 70s and the 80s, you know, a place that we've lived and we understand? Um, I, to me, it's all about the research, and you know, every book you write, you've got to do the research. It's just a different type of research. Yeah. I don't know if I would take on a monumental task of going like back to like Ventura, you know, like Victorian times or whatnot. That would be kind of, to me, that would seem really kind of daunting. Um, so I bow down to the ones who can do it and do it extremely successful without a doubt. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Um, did, you, did you read uh, Andrew Gross's last book? No, I did Man? not. I, we okay, we um, had it the, in, and then we sent out for a review because I had a couple others I was looking at doing, and so I didn't want to put it on the shelf and miss it, so we sent it out. Okay. Um, yeah, because that one takes place during World War II. And okay. in all honesty, there's a lot of novels set during World War II. There are. And it's, you know, because of that, it's hard to find something fresh and original. And he nails it. It's it's his best book by far. If you're a fan of his stuff, 
you should read his, you should read this book because it is amazing. Really, it's probably one of the best thrillers of the year. <laughs> now, there's something else, and it's it just kind of hit me when you. Now, and there's something else that you know just kind of hit me. Um, that that also is coming on is, and I I think we've touched on this before, but I've seen some backlash. I saw some really horrid reviews. I saw some really nasty people and some really things, and I don't think that it's fair to the author because I mean they're just doing it as a gig because of what it is. But um, writing, there's new Agatha Christie books out, and so when you're trying to write someone like that. And Sophie Hanna does, you know, as good a job as you could possibly do. I mean, no one's going to be Agatha Christie. You know, no one's going to be, you know, Edgar Allan Poe and those types of people. But when you're writing it and you're putting the name of the of the author on that, you know, Agatha Christie, I don't know, man. I don't like it. I don't like it at all. I'm, I'm just not a fan of doing that. I think that, I think that they should just stop it. <laughs> I mean, I... I <laughs> I mean, I don't. I well, don't like it. I mean, Hercule Poirot in the, in the, you know, in the final curtain, you know, he had a brain tumor and he died. I mean, she killed him, but now they brought him back, and it's like, he died. Okay, he's. It's okay that he died. Everybody's gonna die. It's okay that he's gone. You don't have to keep bringing him back and then acting like it's something brand new or something. You know what I mean? Well, I, I do, but aren't these novels set before Final Curtain? Well, but. Yeah, I guess loosely, but, you know, I, I'm not a fan of that either um, because they kind of say, yeah, Hercule Poirot is back, and I'm like, no, he's not, he's dead. I mean, so you're trying to write prequels. Well, I think the only one who should be able to write prequel is the one who created the character. I think if you wanted to create after the fact, maybe they stopped and they didn't die and you want to do something after, that's a little different. But I just don't know if you can do, you know, that would be like someone else but George Lucas writing the prequel to Star Wars. That I don't like. And that'd be a good thing. I think he started it. I think he should finish it. <laughs> you know, he's the one that would do it. Um, you know, well, I mean, and you're a Star Trek fan. I mean, what do you, you know, the Star Trek was, the the, the Star Trek world was, um, was built in what the, the uh, in the '60s, right? When Star Trek came out, was it in the late '60s that that first came out? Yeah. Or 50th so, anniversary. When that world. Yeah, when that world was built, shouldn't that be the one who was going to do a prequel? You know what I mean? Well, they they did do a prequel series, if that's what you're talking about. Yeah, but I mean the 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 founders of the people who founded the show, started the show, the ones who did it, they should be the ones who mm-hmm. who should be doing the prequel, not somebody new trying to kickstart the series. If they want to write stories about the series, like what you did, I think that's fabulous because it brings such a great thing to it. But writing a prequel, writing the foundation of the stories, I don't. I think should be left up to the original person who created it. That's just my thought. Well, my issue with prequels is I think there's no suspense to them whatsoever because – a prequel, by definition, means that it happened before the events that you know happens after. So if you know this character is alive in the future, you know they're going to survive in the prequel. True, true. So the, the, the element of suspense is gone for me right away. 
the one part of prequels that I like are, remember the movie, and, I, and this just happened to come to my mind, and I don't know why, but remember the movie Triple X with Vin Diesel and um, Samuel Jackson? Yes. Do you remember the big <laughs> scar he had on his face? Mm-hmm. So the prequel would be able to explain how that happened. Now, there's not suspense in knowing that he's going to die, but there's the story of maybe how he became the way he did, maybe how he got that scar, what was the story behind that and whatnot. So I think that that's kind of cool, but I do agree 100% that you can't put him in this James Bond situation of submersing him into water and then letting the timer go off going, well, you know he's going to live because – He's already done all this other stuff. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes. And just to yeah, let you know, um, I, I, I just want to let you know be, real, real quick. It's the bottom of the eighth, two outs, and the Dodgers are now up six to nothing on the Chicago Cubs. Game three in the NLCS, so I'll say that. Okay, well, it looks like the Dodgers are going to go up two to one. Okay. Yeah, and Jansen is actually in the game because they brought him in up four to nothing, but he had to get one batter, and he struck him out. Chris Bryant with a guy on first struck out Bryant. So now he's going to be in the game with a 6-0 lead. So, um, yeah, so I think prequels are cool on that front. But I do agree with you. You can't have the suspense. There's nothing there. Right. And, and with your example, though, is that enough to justify an entire story to find out how someone got a scar? I know on Lost they uh, had an entire episode about Jack and how he got his tattoo, and I could have cared less. Couldn't have cared less. Yeah. I guess it depends on the character. You know, like there's origin stories for comic books all the time, and they always do origins of how they became the way that they are. And I think origin stories are kind of cool um, if it explains certain things. But, yeah, I do agree that it's, it's – it, I guess it depends on the character. I was just using that as an example as it would right. tell a story of maybe how he became the way he became. But, yeah, that you can't say that he's in this life-or-death situation because you know he's going to make it out of it. That I agree 100%. Well, Lee Child is doing that right now. He does a lot of prequels to his Jack Reacher novels. Yeah. And and what do you think? That's exactly right. Like I him? learn more about the character, and I like that. But I know he's yeah. going to live. Right. Well, when you're on a series like that, Alex Cross ain't dying. Jack Reacher ain't dying. That's one of the reasons why I'm not a big fan of series. Because... When you put those characters in those situations, you know that they're always going to live. You know, maybe he'll take a couple hits, maybe he'll take a bullet to the shoulder, maybe he'll even get to the hospital and then whatever, but he's always going to make it out. Because if you think that if Lee Child killed Jack Reacher, that he could answer a single email after that fact, he can't open his email <laughs> box. <laughs> he would have to close his email box. Because he would he would have to literally he would have to say Jack Reacher's dead I'm never writing another book again and then just close everything close up shop kill all your social media and go away because he would be crucified for that. <laughs> That's true, and if somebody if the Jack Reacher character died and then someone else said I'm going to take on your legacy and then took on the name and then that's who we've known all these years that would also get him a lot of hate mail. Yes. Yeah. Just like I didn't think, what did you think about the suspense of like Harry Potter? Because it was, oh, is she going to kill Harry Potter? Is she not? I'm like, dude, Harry Potter ain't dying. I was like, those three kids ain't dying. I'm telling you right now. There's no way 
that those three kids are going to die because that series was so popular that you couldn't kill them because you knew damn well that there was going to be something coming after it, and you couldn't have killed them off because then it wouldn't have been as good. Honestly, you know, I was, thought she was going to kill no Ron. I thought she was going to kill Ron. I was like, Ron. there's no way she was killing any of those three because you knew that there was going to be something after that series was done. You knew there was no fucking way she was ever going to stop at book seven. It was just not going to happen. And you had to have those three, I think. That's why I think it was okay when she killed off, was it either Fred or George, one of the two, I forgot. Um, and some of yeah. the other little wizards, you know, some of the other wizards, the older wizards die like Sirius, and some of the other ones, you know, they died. But there was no way you could kill off the three. I don't think you could. I, just, I was like, there's just no way you could kill off the three. Dumbledore, I think, was the biggest shocker to everybody, and and I think I think the and I think Snape was not a shocker. I think he knew he had to go. Um, well, especially after what happened with uh, Dumbledore. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think he knew Snape had to go. It was it was sad. It was sad, but it wasn't but it wasn't that bad because he was he was kind of. Like, um, you know, Yoda or Obi-Wan, he was still kind of there. You could still kind of sense his presence, and he was still around. So I thought that was a good thing. I thought that was pretty cool. Wizard you are. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Are you excited about any movies coming up? Um, I am, actually. I, I, uh, I was just having this conversation with my daughter today. Uh, she has no interest in seeing Doctor Strange, and I am absolutely fascinated oh. by the idea of it all. Shannon wants to see that one. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm yeah, excited. Big, I like, I like Benedict Cumberbatch. I like the comics. Yeah. yeah, it should be interesting. What about Reacher coming out on Friday? Speaking of Reacher. Um, I definitely want to see that as well. Yeah. And I know Lee Child has another cameo in it. So that's sort of a running oh, gag now, so I like that. Yeah, so it should be fun. We saw. Um, hopefully. Um, did you see the reviews for the girl on the train? Not good at all. Um, I thought the book was okay. Um, I'm, I'm really getting tired of the unreliable narrator, though. Uh, yeah. So, I yeah I when I heard that they changed some stuff up, and even fans of the book were upset. That told me, like, yeah, don't go see it. So, no, I have not seen it. Yeah, it did not get good reviews um, at all. People were basically just like, this is this is horrid. Um, and, you know, and I think that, the, you know, and I know what they do. You know, they're trying to capitalize on the success of the book, you know, and I get it. But when you do that, I think you're trying to do it so fast, so quick, that you lose a lot of the essence of the book. Now, of course books and the movies are, are always a little different. Um, but I think you're losing some of the essence of the book if you do that. And you can't be quick about it. I mean, even if you brought this out six months or eight months from now, nobody was going to forget about The Girl on the Train. They knew the book. They already knew what the book was. I mean, there's so many people that read it, they already knew. So I didn't think they needed to rush. And I think it, it just felt like a rush job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it felt like a rush well, job. Yeah, I, I have to ask, just because I know he's your favorite author, um, <laughs> what are you thinking about oh, Inferno? 
God. The book I could not get through. But I saw the previews of it, and I go, you know what? I like Tom Hanks, and he makes anything kind of look good. So I'll probably see it. I will not see it in the theaters. I will probably end up waiting until it comes out on, uh, you know, streaming and in demand or whatever, and I'll, and I'll probably rent it on Amazon one night and we'll watch it. But I think, I don't, I mean, from the trailer, I'm like, eh, it's not that bad. But then I'm like, this is the same book. I read 150 pages and I was into it. And I go, what the hell is this book about? <laughs> yeah. I got gotcha. you. You know, I, I was shocked. I like, I was I like wondering, Inferno. Why did they do Inferno? Why did they do Inferno and not Lost Symbol? I can tell you why they did, did Inferno instead of Lost Symbol. Well, Lost Symbol was really shitty. But, I mean, still, it would still draw viewers. Right, but they would have to change everything up just to make it uh, worthwhile. You know, because for people who are not familiar with that story, when you find out what the whole thing is about, you kind of go, huh? You don't want that reaction in a movie theater. Well, At least this one's I'm, I'm got sure, I mean, you know, a nice travel log I'm sure they, would, I'm cool sure they stuff. could change it a little bit. Right. Well, they'd have to change a lot of it to make it work. So that's why I think they did Inferno. Okay. Well, yeah, but boy, what, what do you think of Inferno? I like the book a lot. Um, the the whole issue about a plague and Dante. Should I start just page two hundred and write it from that point forward? <laughs> I, I consider uh, Dan Brown's books to be sort of a combination of history along with <laughs> I didn't say that no I did being the history major that I am suspensemagazine.com if you have any questions about that <laughs> I don't give a shit I'm, Dan don't listen uh, well, anyway no. I <laughs> I'm a history major so I enjoy learning about the things that he talks about Oh, I, I agree, a hundred percent. I agree. I agree that that is definitely um, something that is interesting. Is the history part? I mean, you know, Angels and Demons. I thought was probably the best. That was my. I favorite. would agree with you. Absolutely, um, that was my favorite book too. That was my favorite book. Yes. That was my favorite movie. Um, yes. The Da Vinci Code. I, I, we don't even need to go into the Da Vinci Code because I, I read that before it even came out. And then the um, and but then with the lost symbol and then with Inferno, I was like, uh, you know, here's here's an idea. It's it's over. You don't need to keep doing it anymore. You know what I mean? It was one of those things like, do you need? It's like, are you going to keep doing a Robert? I mean, how many history things can you can you go off with with symbols? Well, um, have you heard the announcement? Oh shit! I guess not. Origin. The book comes out okay. uh, next September. Oh God, let me search this. And what's this one about? The origin of life? I have no idea. They just announced the title, and it's going to be his new book, and it comes out at the end of September of 2017. Huh. So you're looking it up now? Yeah, I don't see it. It's not on Amazon right now, so I don't know. No, it was a news item on something I was looking at the other day. Oh, okay. I'll have to look. But, 
Well, hey, uh, tell everybody who I'm gonna, you you introduce who we got coming up next week because we're doing a show next week because I'll be going to Japan, so we put these two back to back, and then I'll be off for a couple weeks, and then we'll come back. So, tell us who we got coming on next week. Uh, we've got Canadian author Linwood Barkley, who writes really great suburban thrillers, and uh, his new book that comes out on the first is the conclusion of a trilogy set in Promise Falls. And this one is called the twenty. Hang on here, I've got it in front of me here. The twenty-three. Ooh, nice. Linwood's good. Linwood's got some good ones. In Linwood's there. great. Yeah, yeah. I, I enjoy his he books. He has some good stories story. too. Yeah, I interviewed him not too long ago. I remember for the radio show. I think for his last book, or maybe the one before that. And yeah, he's 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 good. He's got some good stuff. So, mm-hmm. well, um, oh, and answer and, answer your question super fast. In keeping yeah. with his trademark style, Brown interweaves code, science, religion, history, art, and architecture into this new novel. Origin thrusts Harvard symbologist Robert Langdon into the dangerous intersection of humankind's two most enduring questions and the earth-shaking discovery that will answer them. So that's Origin. That comes I'm sorry, out I just September woke 20th. up. What did you say? <laughs> Come on, Really? Go look for freaking Atlantis or something. The origin of the of humankind, and it's not called Pandora. I mean, come on. I don't know. So anyway, that, know, that's whatever. what it's called. Oh, and just so you know, <laughs> we're going to end the show with a Dodgers victory, six to nothing, up two games to one in the NLCS. So there you go. Oh, well, it won't last. So that's good for you. This is the. Fir- this is the first time the Dodgers have shut out back-to-back opponents in a postseason again in a postseason history. So, and it will well, last. Congratulations. Why are you so mean to me, man? You, you know what? You and your damn Seahawks can just go pound sand. <laughs> Don't be mad because my baseball team made it, and your Mariners haven't made the postseason since what George Bush was president. <laughs> and I meant the father. Um. <laughs> Actually, no. You mean the uh, Sun, two thousand one. Yeah, right? that's true. It is the yeah. Yeah, but hey, the Mariners are all right, my man. Teams. What do you expect? Well, all right. I will. Let's uh, do all this fun again in about another seven days. How? What do you say? Looking forward to it, and uh, Linwood Barkley uh, going to be great. So, thanks so much, and right. uh, thanks for Mr. Wortham. He was a blast too. So until next time, everybody. Like we used to say, keep reading. And this song is for the end of the month.